introduction to prophecy, the first week's lesson. If you did not get one of those, they are back on the table. You're welcome to get one after church today, uh, tonight. And uh, it has our notes from the first lesson. And uh, also it has um, some of the uh, general rules that we follow uh, in understanding prophecy. Uh, we believe uh, that the Bible is literal when it's literal. And uh, we don't try to overly spiritualize or symbolize Scripture. It's not a big analogy. The whole Bible is not a big analogy. But there are times where there are symbolisms, and so we want to be careful that we understand when those are. We've also given you a timeline. If you'll notice, I did correct the little error that we had last week there. And so I uh, gave you a new handout back there that is corrected that you can take home with you, uh, as well as our slide up here. Last week I had edited the uh, graphic and forgot to move one of the arrows over, and it was misplaced slightly. Uh, so feel free to uh, take those and use those as you would see fit. Let's go to Daniel chapter number 9. We're going to very quickly run back through just briefly our timeline. About, uh, oops, our, uh, Jonathan, our uh, screen died on us here somehow. I don't have it up here on the screen anymore. <laughs> I don't know what happened there. Uh, good thing I've got mine. Um, so creation happened. Uh, as best we can tell from the dates that are given in Scripture. And the reason uh, we have genealogies that are given in the Old Testament, you think, boy, there's chapter after chapter after chapter of names and dates and uh, years that passed by, is to give us some sense of the time that has passed since the creation of the world. Uh, there are several estimates of people that have calculated them based on different calendars and different times. But for the most part, I'm going to give you some very approximate uh, dates here. Uh, some of these fluctuate depending on who you talk to, but they're they're relatively all in the general same general area. But somewhere around uh, 4,000 years BC, uh, creation happened. Um, and again, there's some some flexibility in the times and the dates exactly on that. Um, but somewhere around that time, creation happened. Um, just shortly after that, it was only uh, about uh, 1,700 years or so. Uh, that the flood happens uh, around 2350 or so B.C. Um, then we see the Tower of Babel just about 150 years after the flood where men uh, exalt themselves. They want to become gods and be like gods. There you have Nimrod and that kind of thing. So you have the Tower of Babel. And then we have Abraham. Now, Abraham's on your timeline. Uh, Abraham was around 2000 B.C. Again, rough, rough estimates here. Uh, Joseph was sold. Now, you have Abraham, then you have his son Isaac, and then you have his son Jacob. Jacob has uh, a bunch of sons, a whole parcel of them. Uh, his favorite son was Joseph. You remember the coat of many colors story in the Bible, how Joseph was his favorite. He was sold into slavery around 1750 B.C. Um, and uh, so because of that, uh, the Israelites, through the divine providence of God, end up in Egypt when the famine came into Canaan, uh, Pharaoh gave land to Joseph. Joseph was well favored in Egypt. And so that's how the Israelites came into being there. Um, uh, somewhere between 1750 and, and 1500, the Israelites uh, come under slavery. It's just within a generation or so of the first Pharaoh that had given them the land. Uh, the Israelites were prospering so and growing so that the Pharaoh feared them, and so he put them into slavery. They were in slavery for a few hundred years, or about a hundred or so years. 150 years, and uh, Moses comes along about 1500 B.C. and leads them out of uh, Egypt, and we know that as the Exodus. And then we have a time period after Israelites wander in the wilderness for 40 years and finally enter into the Promised Land. We have a time period where 
uh, God rules Israel as a theocracy, meaning that they were ruled by God, and they uh, were a number of judges that uh, were there. The prophets would come along, and the the uh, priests uh, would come along, and they would uh, direct spiritually the people of God and uh, let them know what God's will for their country was. And uh, so for quite a while, they did well under that. Over a period of time, they got dissatisfied with that and wanted to have their own king, and so they got their own king. And so you have a period of time where you're having the nation of Israel ruled by the kings and the judges. Uh, we all know the stories during that time period of how many times Israel was up and down for, the, for, for God. They were, sometimes they were very hot for God and very cold for God. And God would bring them into captivity. They would suffer for a season. They would repent. And God would uh, uh, deliver them through a judge or through sometimes a king or someone uh, like that. And uh, then they would uh, have a, sp- uh, a period of prosperity and revival. And then they would fall back into sin again. And they just went through these cycles over and over and over again. During one of those cycles, uh, a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar uh, became um, a world power. It was known as the Babylonian Empire. Uh, Around 600 B.C. or so, Nebuchadnezzar is conquering the then-known world. He comes to uh, Israel, and uh, he sets uh, a siege around Jerusalem, and he hauls off all of the princes and the uh, the wealthy, affluent uh, young men and young, young folks from um, Jerusalem takes them back to Babylon, and that's where you find Daniel. Uh, you'll also find uh, Ezekiel. Now, Ezekiel was not taken during the first captivity. Ezekiel was taken during the second captivity. It happened about seven or eight years after that. Um, Nebuchadnezzar comes back because the, the king, uh, Jehoiakim, uh, decided he didn't want to pay tribute anymore. And so Nebuchadnezzar comes back and uh, kind of resubjugates uh, Jerusalem again. He destroys the city more and hauls some more people captive. That's when Ezekiel comes to Babylon. And then also Jeremiah, who's one of the major prophets, uh, he does not go to Babylon. He stays in Israel, is also one of the prophets on the scene. So these three are, are somewhat contemporary to each other as far as their time and, and the time that they're dealing with things. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar rules for a period of time. Daniel rules under Nebuchadnezzar for the whole time that he's there. And for a short while under uh, Belt, uh, Belshazzar, his, uh, I think it's his grandson, Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. And uh, just shortly after that, because he was such an ungodly king, uh, God turned the Babylonian Empire over to the Medes and Persians. And so you have Darius coming in. This is the fellow that threw Daniel into the lion's den. He's the one that was known for that decree, if you remember that story. And Daniel was the Mede uh, ruler of the time. He only ruled for about two years. And uh, then Cyrus was the uh, Persian king at the time and had married the daughter of Darius. And so Cyrus becomes the the world-known king during that time period and um, at the time of of Persia. So all of this is leading up to uh, the time of Artaxerxes, which we find up here um, uh, on your uh, time scale under Nehemiah, Artaxerxes, if you'll remember, was the king during Nehemiah, and Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. So all of this time, uh, the, the Israelites have been under captivity with Babylon and under a, a short period of time under captivity uh, with the Medes and Persians. And so uh, under Artaxerxes, uh, we find that he gives a decree for Nehemiah to go back uh, and to rebuild uh, the walls of Jerusalem and the city of Jerusalem. That happened, if you want to mark your uh, time chart there, where it says Nehemiah, 
that decree went out at 444 B.C. Some calendars have it at 445 B.C., and I wouldn't sweat the year difference there because some calendars had more days than others at that time. Okay, so uh, that brings us to the time of Nehemiah. Now, if you will take your Bibles, turn to Dan- that kind of brings you up to speed to kind of where we uh, need to be here. And we'll look at Daniel chapter 9 once again. And I'll try to very carefully go through some of these things um, that take place. So, the nation of Israel... Uh, had forsaken for a number of years uh, what God had had told them in the book of Leviticus to do. They had forsaken what was known as the Sabbath year. Uh, every seventh year, they were supposed to let the land rest, and they were to do that uh, seven times. And then, so every seventh year for seven times, so that would be like 49 years, if you will. Uh, And then on that 50th year, the year following the seventh year of sevens, uh, seventh series of seven years, um, they would have what was called the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee was a time where the nation of Israel would have to give back any property uh, to the original owner if they had gotten it through uh, a node debt or anything along those lines. And so it was kind of a time of redemption. It was also to be a Sabbath, a set-aside Sabbath uh, for the Lord. And again, we think in terms of Sabbath, and the Lord uh, gave in the Ten Commandments, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy, thinking of uh, the day of the week. Uh, but he refers to it in Leviticus as a Sabbath and he's referring to it as it being an entire year. And the Jews understood that. They, they uh, knew of those things. So they had forsaken this uh, for a long period of time. Uh, and so God puts them under captivity through the Babylonian Empire as a result of their forsaking these Sabbaths. And I want you to look with me. That they had, they had, for 490 years, they had forsaken these Sabbaths. If you will, in Daniel chapter number 9, And verse number one, Daniel finds himself in captivity as a result of these 490 years of the Israelites not keeping the Sabbath years that God had demanded, nor observing the Jubilee years that they were supposed to. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish, notice this, 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So God judges Israel for 70 literal years. Uh, If you take and look at the number of Sabbaths that they forsook and the number of Jubilees that they forsook, God gets his Sabbaths back from the nation of Israel through these 70 years. And uh, so this is what Daniel understands. We spent some time uh, last week, and we'll look at them here again uh, very briefly, but uh, turn over to Jeremiah chapter 25. And again, just to kind of show you where Daniel is getting this from. Um, And again, remember that Jeremiah and Daniel and Ezekiel, all of these are prophesying uh, around the same time as each other, uh, there is some differences in, in the times that God gives them these prophecies, but they're all living uh, pretty much at the same time. Jeremiah is known uh, as the weeping prophet. He also wrote the book of Lamentations. And um, because he was so sorrowful over the condition of Israel 
and what God had done there. Look with me in Jeremiah chapter 25. We're not going to read as much as we did last week. The important part is in verse number 12. I mean, not the, the rest of it's unimportant. <laughs> Strike that from the record. It's all important. But uh, you know what I'm saying. What I'm trying to, to get to is in verse 12, okay? So let's look at it that way. And this is what Jeremiah prophesies. He says, And it shall come to pass, when seventy years are accomplished, that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, saith the Lord, for their iniquity in the land of the Chaldees, and will make it perpetual desolation. So Babylon is only going to be over the nation of Israel for about seventy years. Also look at Jeremiah chapter 29. And he prophesies again about this in chapter 29 and verse number 10. For thus saith the Lord, that after seventy years uh, be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you in causing you to return to this place. Uh, So again, we have uh, seventy years that the nation of Israel is under the rule uh, of these folks that were punishing them basically for uh, their lack of observing the Sabbaths. Now, let's go back to Daniel chapter number 9 and see why this is important. All right? Daniel chapter 9, verse number 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldees, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. He read the same thing that you and I just read. He read it in a different language, but he read the same verses. He read the same thing that we just read. And he understood by that that God was going to have them uh, there under captivity for 70 years. So Daniel does something in verse 3 and following. He begins to pray and to confess the sin of himself and the sin of his people and to ask God for deliverance. God is a merciful God, and uh, Daniel, I, I have no doubt, was uh, pleading with God to perhaps maybe shorten in his long suffering or his mercy the time that the nation of Israel was going to be in captivity. While he's praying, God sends an answer to him. Now, wouldn't it be wonderful if God sent answers to us the way that he did Daniel? He sent the angel Gabriel to tell him this. Uh, There's sometimes I pray and I think, boy, it would be wonderful if God would still do that today. But he doesn't do that today. Uh, He answers our prayers in different ways today than he did back then. But God sends um, the angel Gabriel. And uh, let's look in verse um, verse number 20. And this is where Gabriel comes in. So while he's praying about God... Uh, confessing the sin of him and his people, and God to deliver them from the 70 years, this is what takes place. Verse 20. And whilst I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. Now, here's the vision that Gabriel gives him. Seventy weeks 
are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. Now, I want to pause there for a minute, and if you have a pen, you might want to write these things down, okay? So Gabriel comes to Daniel. He says there's going to be 70 weeks, and we're going to understand here in a few minutes, I'm going to show you some reasons why scripturally and practically, uh, prophetically, these are dealing with weeks of years, just like in Leviticus when God said, I want you to have this Sabbath, and it was referring to a year of time, not just a day. Uh, there are some reasons why we know this to be referring to a week here that, that, uh, that Gabriel speaks of. This week is a period of seven years, not seven days. All right? So he says, Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people, upon thy holy city. Now here's why the seventy weeks are there. And this is what's going to happen during those 70 weeks. So I want you to write the list down, if you will. You can put it maybe on your timeline there if you'd like to, under where the red text that says 483 years, 69 prophetic weeks uh, would be a good place to write this list. All right? You'll find it in verse number 24. If you can't keep up to what I'm saying, you can go back in verse 24 here and see the list. It's right here in Scripture. So in these 70 weeks... Uh, it's going to be given so that uh, the, it says to finish uh, the transgression. Number one, to finish the transgression. Number two, to make an end of sins. To make an end of sins. Number three, to make reconciliation for iniquity. Sounds like what Christ did on Calvary, doesn't it? And to bring into everlasting righteousness. To bring in everlasting righteousness. I don't know what number we're on there, but whatever number. And then the last one, to seal up the vision. Oh, not the last one, next to the last one. To seal up the vision and prophecy. To seal up the vision and prophecy. And then the last one is to anoint the Most Holy. So Gabriel comes to Daniel. He says, listen, there's going to be 70 weeks. And I'll tell you when it's going to start. He tells him here in just a minute. He says, I'm going to tell you when the timer's going to start on that 70 weeks. He says, in this 70 weeks, these things are going to be accomplished. They're going to happen. All of these things will happen in that 70 weeks. One of the reasons that we know that this is referring to 70 weeks of years is because all of these things are not yet accomplished. And we need to be looking forward to some of them being accomplished yet. And we're going to see why that is here in just a moment. Now, in verse 25, um, he gives the starting point of when these 70 weeks is going to begin. So in verse 25, he says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince. Okay, so when was the command given by Artaxerxes to go back and restore Jerusalem? We gave it to you a little bit ago under Nehemiah. 444, okay. Some people put it at 445. That's fine. Again, depending on which calendar you're using. 
So from that point, the, 40, the, the, the 70 weeks began. The moment that decree went forward, the, the prophetic stopwatch, if you will, was clicked, and the time began to tick. So from the time that the commandment was given to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, notice with the capital P here, until Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. Now that is a peculiar way to word that, isn't it? There is no other place in Scripture, nor is there any other people group in any language that breaks their math up this way. There is a distinct reason, I believe, why God put these dates in there specifically, that there will be a period of seven weeks and then an additional period of 62 weeks that run consecutively. There's no gap in between them. They just are separated for a reason. I believe the reason to be this. It took them... Uh, 49 years from the time that Nehemiah was given the decree from Artaxerxes to complete, and I'm not talking about just building the wall, but to complete the restoration of Jerusalem. The temple, the streets, uh, everything being restored in Jerusalem. It took them 49 years. That's Jewish history. Again, one of the proofs, I believe, that we can look at this and say we know that these weeks are referring to years is because there are very significant events that line up with these numbers that are given by Scripture. Uh, and that's one of the things that I believe is very critical that we understand, uh, to understand why uh, these are dealing with weeks of years and not just weeks of days. All right, so from the time um, that the command was given until the prince comes in will be seven weeks that was the completion of Jerusalem. And then he says, and three score and two weeks, giving us a total of, if you add those together, that's how many weeks? 69 weeks of the 70, right? Have I got that so far? Okay. If you take 69 weeks of years and you multiply that times the seven for the seven years and the week of years, you took 69 times seven, you'll get... 400 and how much? 483 years to the day from some calculations and within just a few days with other calendars and different calculations from the time that Artaxerxes gave the decree to go to Jerusalem and to rebuild it until Jesus entered in Jerusalem uh, on Palm Sunday as the prince of those folks was exactly 483 years. Coincidence? No. Prophecy. Okay? Pretty amazing, isn't it? That 483 years before, a man by the name of Daniel, in Babylon, of all places, was able to put it right on the dot. You say, how was he able to do that? Because God gave it to him. It's an accurate prophecy. What's, what's the test of a false prophet? What do we use biblically to test whether somebody's a false prophet or not? If they prophesy and it doesn't come true, it doesn't happen, right? You'll find with Daniel, he prophesied something that was not a general thing that might happen and probably good chance it will happen. He, he, he put the date down. He said, this is when it's going to happen. And guess what? The date came and it happened. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? Pretty amazing, all right? 
So, now notice what it says here. Three score and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall in troublous times. So, again, Daniel knew that the rebuilding of Jerusalem was going to be through some pretty tumultuous times. They were going to have opposition for it. Now, notice what he says in verse 26. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, notice this, but not for himself. Sounds like the crucifixion, doesn't it? So at the end of this 69th week, if you will, at the end of this 62 weeks that was spoken of here that followed the seven weeks, so at the end of 69 weeks, Messiah is cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and in thereof, and the in thereof shall be with the flood. All right? So let me try to, try to help with a couple things here. The Jews understood these weeks. If you look at any of the older Jewish writers and people that were teaching in the synagogues, there was no doubt in their mind that the 70 weeks spoken of here were in reference to seven years. <coughs> so one week would be worth seven years. The Jews had no problem with that. They understood that to be seven years. The second thing is, within the context of the passage, obviously that list of things that we found in verse number 24 are not yet accomplished. And yet 70 literal weeks days, uh, weeks of days have certainly gone by since Daniel had this prophecy. Since the Bible is not in error and cannot be mistaken, we know that it could not be dealing there then with weeks of days. Then I want you to notice that, uh, that uh, Gabriel specifically breaks the 69 weeks up into seven years and 62 years. That's not by mistake, and that is a very unusual breakdown of the math. And so again, uh, trying to express there's a significant event that will happen after the seven years, and we read about that at the end of verse 25, that the street shall be built again, the wall even in troublous times. And then it says, and after three score and two weeks, so again, after that seven, that's when that happens. Now there's three score and two more weeks, and Messiah is going to be cut off. So this is one of those typical times in prophecy where a statement is made broadly, and then we come back and we say, okay, now let's look at it separately. So in verse number 24, he talks about the seven weeks and the 62 weeks. I'm sorry, uh, middle of verse 25, he talks about the seven weeks and the three score and two weeks. Then he puts a colon there and he says, okay, now, in that seven, the streets, the wall, everything's going to be built again in that first seven weeks. And then there's going to be three score and two more, and then the Messiah is going to be cut off. So, again, if you take a careful look at verse 25, you'll understand and it makes sense why he stated it as seven and 62 weeks, and then added together being 69 weeks. You say, well, where's the 70th week? <laughs> okay, so when Christ came on the scene, let's, let's take, a, take a stab at this, all right? And this is where we're going to jump into Revelation. Daniel and Revelation really kind of have to go hand in hand. There will be some places we'll even deal with a couple of passages in Ezekiel uh, that I think are very, very relevant and very careful. But... Um, we find here that at the end of 69 weeks, uh, Daniel then gives additional prophecy. You've got to understand that 
Daniel's being given a prophecy of the entire 70 weeks. But he leaves one week off, and he says during this one week, there's going to be something else that happens. Let's see what the Bible says happens during this one week. Shall we do that? And maybe this will give us a clue as to when that 70th week is going to happen. All right? Let's look in verse number uh, 26. So after Messiah is cut off, notice this. It says, And the people and the prince that shall come, lowercase p in your King James Bible. Wait a minute. What was Christ referred to? He was referred to as a prince also, but it was what? Capitalized. All right? Very important. Understand this. But uh, it says, And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with the flood. And unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. What does that sound like to you? To me, that sounds a lot like the tribulation period, doesn't it? And notice what it says in verse 27, and maybe this will help seal the deal for us, okay? And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one, what? There's our 70th week. Isn't that amazing? Now, lest we still think this is a week of days, notice what it says. And in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease for the overspreading of abominations... He shall make it, what? Desolate. You know what happens three and a half years into the tribulation period? We have what the Bible refers to as the abomination of desolation. It says here for the over, in the middle of this last week that the overspread of abominations, he shall make it desolate. That sounds like the abomination of desolation. Even until the consummation... And that determined shall be poured out upon the desolate. So you say, when is Daniel's 70th week? Well, Daniel's 70th week has not happened yet. So what took place? When the Messiah came to his people, he came to Israel. And the Bible says he came unto his own, and his own what? Received him not. They rejected him. So God said, you know what? Uh, the master went out and called all these people to come. They kept refusing and said they're not going to come. Then I'll go out into the highways and the hedges and I'll compel them to come in. And he, he allowed the Gentiles to take part in all this. Man, what a joy. We get an opportunity to come and be a part of this. And so the Gentiles get an opportunity now. And God establishes what he calls the church. A church. And in this time period, since... Calvary, and shortly after, the Bible now says there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. Why? Because during this period of time, God has hit the pause button on dealing with Israel. He has not cut them off. He has not decided they are no longer His people. They still are. And He still has great plans and restoration for them at the end. But for right now... He hit the pause button with Israel. He says, I'm going to deal with the body of believers. And for 2,000, a little over 2,000 years now, he has been dealing with us and doing things with us. And uh, Israel's going to have their chance again. They're going to come back to God, and the Bible tells us about that in Revelation. And so uh, for 2,000 years, we have God. It's, not on, it's on your timesheet there. I keep wanting to point to that. 
but where it says church and has the big arch there, that's about the time period up until present day. You say, what's the next thing on the list? The rapture. The rapture. All right. So uh, let's take a look at a couple things here. Um, we're going to begin our study on the rapture tonight. It will certainly take tonight and all of next Wednesday to deal with this subject, I believe. Uh, we believe in what's called a pre-tribulation rapture. We believe that God is going to come back and rapture us out of here before uh, the tribulation begins, this last week of Daniel begins, this last seven-year period of time. The book of Revelation from chapter 4 uh, through, through most of it, until the last, I think, two or three chapters, uh, deals with basically a seven-year period of time. deals with the first three and a half years of it, then a major event happens, and then the last three and a half years happen. At the end of that, uh, there's a great battle. Uh, Satan's going to unite the kingdoms of the earth and try to come against God and battle God, and that'll be what we call the Battle of Armageddon. The Bible speaks of that, and uh, we'll be looking at that as we study in Revelation. Uh, but uh, God's going to come back, and uh, He's just going to speak, the Bible says. He's going to defeat them by the word of His mouth. He's going to feed them. And when He does, He's going to set up a millennium a millennial kingdom, a thousand-year reign. He's going to reign on the earth, and those that are saved, the Bible says, get to rule and reign with Him. I don't know how that works, but uh, the Bible says we get to do that. But for that thousand years, uh, we get to rule and reign with Him, and then we'll take a look at some of those things when we get into Revelation. The reason I did that is just to give you a general timeline of prophecy to work with, a framework, if you will. Uh, talking to Brother Harold Day, uh, we're going to put the meat on the bones, okay? So we've given you the skeleton. We're going to fill the meat in uh, on it. So good to have a proper overview of this. Now, there are some people out there that believe that um, the rapture takes place um, in the middle of the tribulation at the three-and-a-half year. Um, there are some people that uh, believe in what we call post-tribulation. Uh, did I say millennium? At the, at the middle of the tribulation. Uh, there are going to be some people that are called the post Tribulation, and they're not really post. It's it's slightly before the end, is what they believe, but it's towards the end. We believe that it happens before the tribulation begins. There are a number of reasons why we believe that, and we're going to start looking into that. So uh, we're going to be taking some notes in earnest at this point. So keep your Bibles handy. Let's turn to John chapter number fourteen, and uh, we've got about oh maybe ten or so minutes we can get. Uh, at least a, a foundation begun here. John chapter number 14 is one of the... Uh, you won't find the word rapture in Scripture, but you certainly will find the event taught. All right? <clears throat> John chapter number 14. Jesus is speaking. John is putting down what Jesus is saying. It says, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, notice this. He says, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And here we find one, one of the first uh, indications that Christ is going to come 
and take us away. Notice what it says here. I will come again and receive you unto myself. So he's going to take us out of here. You say, Brother Greg, how do you know that's not referring to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ at the end of the tribulation period? The difference is, in John chapter 14, he comes to take us out of here. At the end of the tribulation period, when he comes back again, the second coming, we are coming with him. He's not coming to take us, he's bringing us with him. Alright, so very important the Bible teaches that. You, you can't be a, a post-trib and, and be in agreement with Scripture because of that issue alone. Alright, so uh, again, he's coming, that's the first hint that we have. So, uh, turn with me now, if you will, to the book of Acts, chapter number 1. So we find here that uh, Christ introduces the idea of this. In Acts chapter number 1, let's look in verse number 9. Jesus had been speaking to his disciples. He gives them the Great Commission, and he's getting ready to ascend back up to heaven. This is after he's been crucified. He's already risen from the dead. He was around his disciples for a while. And he gives them some last words of encouragement and some last words of instruction. Notice what it says here in verse number 9. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up. And if you have a pen and you underline, this is important, I think, in Scripture. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which said, uh, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come, and I think this is important, in like manner. How did he go up? He went up. The Bible was very clear to give it to us in verse 9. A cloud received him. Out of their sight. He's coming back in like manner. Very, very important. Keep that in mind. And so he'll be coming back in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. All right? Keep those thoughts in mind. Now let's turn over to 1 Thessalonians. Paul writes about this. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4. Is everybody following tonight, or am I moving too quick for y'all still? Is that, are we good? Two thumbs up? Okay. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let's look in verse number 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. So those that have died before us. Okay. That ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. Notice this phrase. What does it say? The clouds. And amazing. Almost sounds like what we read in Acts 1, doesn't it? He's going to come in like manner as you've seen him go. The next time Christ comes, he's coming in the clouds. 
He's coming for the purpose of catching us up out of here. And the Bible says, Then we which are alive and remain, notice this, shall be caught up. All right? This is, uh, this is an amazing word, uh, an amazing set of words here. It, it kind of gives you the feeling that there's a, a suddenness, like a spontaneity to it, right? Uh, this is uh, something that just, boy, you're just snatched. You're, you're grabbed up out of here, caught up. Uh, this is not something that is uh, methodically planned and looked forward to. Uh, this is something that happens uh, with an unexpected type of a mindset. Now, I'm going to give you this, uh, this next thing, and, and if you have a place to write on some paper anywhere, maybe the back side of one of your, time, your, your timeline or something, I, I'm going to ask, if you will, to write two references of Scripture side by side and draw a center line right down the middle, okay? John chapter 14 Verse 1 through 3, that was where we read, Let not your heart be troubled, you believe in God, believe also in me, in my Father's house are many mansions. That passage, okay? And then uh, just over uh, to the right of that, on the same line, or same distance, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, and draw a line down between them. I'm going to give you some parallels that these two passages share. Pretty, pretty uncanny. It's almost like, the people that wrote these, these, this book, these, these different books, one was John, one was Paul, it's almost like they had the same person instructing them what to write. You think? I mean, this is, this is almost uncanny, you know? All right, so let's take a look here. Under John 14, 1 through 3, and I'll give you these, and then you know, I'm not gonna, we'll, we'll talk about them a little bit next Wednesday. I'm going to just give them to you, and we'll end tonight. And you can look them up tonight and throughout the week and just marvel over it, okay? So, underneath John, chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, uh, I want you to write these words just down as a list, okay? Verse number 1, I'm going to give you the reference and the word, write them on the same line. So, verse 1, write the word trouble. Verse 1, write the word trouble. Under Thessalonians 4, just straight across from it, Write verse 13 of First Thessalonians 4 and write the word sorrow. All right, back under John 14, 1 again. Verse 1, again, the same verse. Write the word believe underneath trouble. Believe. Under First Thessalonians 4, under sorrow. Verse 14, write the word believe. Back under John 14, verse number 1, I'm going to give you two words. One of them is God, and then the other one is me, and that's Jesus referring to himself. So if you want to use a capital M so you know that it's referring to Jesus Christ when he says me. You believe in God, believe also in me, verse number 1. Okay, write that under believe. Okay, so under First Thessalonians chapter 4, we're in verse 14. Write the words Jesus and God. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. So we find God the Father and Jesus Christ both mentioned there in both passages. Under John, verse number 2, write the two words told you. Don't put the word so. You're not talking to your spouse, okay? Just told you, okay? 
under 1 Thessalonians 4, right, verse 15, and the expression is, say to you. Are we seeing some parallels to these two passages? Almost like there was a common author. Verse number 3 under John 14. Come again. Did I say 4? Verse number 3. Did I say 4? Verse number 3. Okay. Verse number 3. Come again. That's some of those COVID things, Brother Harold. Under Thessalonians... Uh, Verse 15, coming of the Lord. Coming of the Lord. What I think is a great one is the next one that I'll give you here. John 14, again, verse number 3. Receive you. Receive you. And then in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 17, caught up. If anybody ever tells you that Jesus never spoke of the rapture, I think there's enough parallelism between these two passages to show that he certainly was speaking of it when he spoke of it in John chapter number 14. All right, back under John chapter 14, verse number 3. We got two more to go here for each of them. John chapter 14, to myself. Verse number 3, to myself. Under 1 Thessalonians, verse 17, to meet the Lord. To meet the Lord. Okay, John 14 again, last one. Be where I am. Or where I am, there you may be, would be the the way to word that. Where I am, there you may be. Uh, Verse 3 also. Where I am, there you may be. I shortened it just on my notes here so I could fit it on the page. <laughs> Where I am, there ye may be. And then under First Thessalonians, uh, verse number 17, ever be with the Lord. And you can take that this week and look through those two passages, and uh, what an amazing thing, isn't it? Two different writers... Uh, inspired by the same Holy Spirit to write these things and speaking of them. Uh, I've got another page and a half of notes on the pre-tribulation rapture and why we believe it to be pre-trib. And, uh, and the reason, you want to know why I believe it to be pre-trib? I'll, I'll be real, it'll be real simple. Here's the answer. You ready? The reason I believe it to be pre-trib is because that's what the Bible teaches. Okay? <laughs> that makes it pretty simple. So, all right. Uh, I hope that was a little easier. I, went, I tried to go at a better pace tonight and not overwhelm you with stuff. But hopefully there was some good material there that will uh, kind of help lay the foundation. Uh, gives us a good framework now to delve into um, 
Uh, we're going to deal with the, get the rapture taken care of here, and then we're going to head over to Revelation and begin going through it. And uh, we will come back and refer to Daniel, and we will refer to Ezekiel, but our main source of study through this will be primarily the book of Revelation. All right? So uh, let's go ahead and stand. We'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. Father, we're so thankful for your word. Lord, how clear it really is. It, sometimes we, we say it's difficult to understand, but really it's just because we tend to rush through its reading. We don't ponder. We don't think. We don't stop to try to understand. Lord, you've, you've done this to reveal these things to us, not to hide them. You've done this to make them known to us. And so may we carefully be a student of your word to understand and to study these things, to know them well. And, uh, Father, it will be with great clarity that we will know and understand the things to come yet in this final week that you've uh, prophesied so long ago. Dismiss us now with your blessings. Give us safety as we travel home. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.